Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. When I was in elementary school, we did a production of 1776, the musical about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And I remember overhearing the grown-ups talking about what to do about the song Molasses to Rum, which features Edward Rutledge singing in defense of slavery. As the lyrics go, shall we dance to the sound of a profitable pound in molasses and rum and slaves? The song got cut out of our particular production. And I gotta be honest, I kind of get it. You know, maybe they didn't want the poor 10-year-old kid playing Edward Rutledge singing a song about how good slavery is, no matter the irony or context or whatever. But I was thinking about our education system's relationship to slavery when listening to today's interview. It's between here and now Celeste Headley and political commentator Michael Harriet, whose book is called Black AF History, The Unwhitewashed Story of America. And in this conversation, Harriet makes a point that the black history that was eventually taught in schools was specifically framed in such a way that it fit in with our preconceived notions of America and its ideals. That's after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead, Shipwreck, Treachery, and Survival at the Edge of the World by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. So much of what you include in your book is going to be eye-opening to people. Why do you think our the the history that we learn is not is so far off from the the history that happened <laughs> why is it so different and and i know that some of that was intentional but do you think that explains all of it no i think one of the things that we don't talk about enough is how relatively new black studies or the uh, idea of black history is the black his- the black studies movement really started in the late 70s early 80s and so the people who taught social studies when i was growing up did not learn any black history right and the people who taught them didn't learn any black history and so the black history that was eventually included in social studies or american history was was put in and inserted so that it would not conflict with all of the other stuff that they had been learning. You can't insert the fact that, you know, George Washington enslaved dozens of people and Thomas Jefferson never freed a slave and and enslaved hundreds of people. If you had been teaching for generations that he is the father of democracy and the architect of our American-style freedom, right? The two just don't comport. So they just put in the stuff that made, that was black, but that reaffirmed the lessons that they were already teaching. So there are so many different um, people in your book that I had never heard of before. Um, We obviously don't have time to go into all of them, but I wanted to touch on just a couple. And we have to talk about Esteban, because how there has not been 
a whole series of movies. How we've had a whole series of Indiana Jones movies and not a whole series of Esteban movies, I don't know. Um, as you point out, this is a guy who explored more of North America than Lewis and Clark. He did it before the Jamestown settlers arrived. And you say the elders of the Pueblo Indians in New Mexico described their first encounter with European colonizers by saying, the first white man our people saw was a black man. Uh, can you tell us how Esteban ended up being what the first colonizer, European colonizer, that many people in North America saw? Well, so Esteban came on a, a colonizing trip with Spanish conquistadors, and they were essentially uh, rejected by the Appalachian Indians. They were kind of Appalachian Native Americans. And so... Esteban was one of the few, was one of the five survivors of that mission, and he traveled from South Carolina to Florida to all the way through uh, New, what we call New Mexico, eventually down to uh, Mexico City, and then was chosen by the Spanish king to lead an expedition over the Sierra Madre Mountains. So it is very conceivable that Esteban the Moor, saw more of America uh, than anyone in history before him on this continent. But it is an interesting story that is fascinating when you put it in the context of the belief, even now that the first Black people to arrive in America came in 1619. So here, another person that um, a lot of people have never heard of and really should is uh, it, the King of Mali. And the reason why people probably should have heard of them is because he was and still is considered to be the wealthiest human being in all of human history. Can you tell us a little bit about Musa the first? Yes, uh, you know, commonly known as Mansa Musa, he was uh, an, uh, a person who was in Africa, who was an African chieftain or what we would call a king. Uh, you know, sometimes we refer to tribes. Uh, Mansa Musa uh, conquered much of his surrounding area. And then he, he because he was uh, Muslim, he took a pilgrimage to Mecca and took so many people and so much gold that it essentially crashed the economy of, of, of Europe at the time. And just so, you know, just so people know that he isn't a total monster, he took pity on everyone and fixed what he'd ruined. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, y'all can have some of this gold. Is that what, uh, you know, has gave y'all so much consternation? And so he just gave some gold away and loaned out gold to the economies, but never collected on it. <laughs> yeah, just absolutely incredible. Um, you make the point, coming back to American history, uh, you make the point very convincingly in this book, I think, and I'm going to quote you here. You say, slavery was an American idea, not a product of the time. No law was passed in England that legalized slavery. France's Code Noir was similar, but it would come two decades after Virginia's declaration. From its inception, America was always a pyramid scheme where the wealthy benefited from the labor of the poor. Why was this point that slavery was uniquely and inherently American why was this so important? Because I think it's called, we call it slavery. 
which kind of uh, flattens it out and equates it with, you know, all kinds of slavery from indentured servitude to forced marriage to uh, prisoners of war. All of that can be, uh, you know, simplified by just calling it slavery. But what America did was create a systemic system that was embedded in the Constitution that was intergenerational, inheritable, it was constitutionally enforced, it was supported by the government, and most of all, it was race-based. And that was, all of those factors combined was unique to America. There were some places where, you know, if you take ancient Roman history, right? Those people were still considered humans and they were governed by human laws, not considered chattel. Um, there were paths to freedom in Africa and other uh, civilizations, but America offered no path to freedom and it was embedded into the structure of the building of this nation. And which you, again, make the point was a uniquely American idea. And you reinforce not just this, but many other ideas in the book with these little quizzes you have at the end of each chapter. Not just that, but you make a lot of jokes. <laughs> the footnotes especially are filled with some some pretty funny, um, sarcastic remarks. Um, why was it why was that crucial? I mean, because it really seemed to be crucial that you you have some levity in this book. Why? What well, I think that, first of all, uh, this history of Africans in America is brutal when told straightforward. And I, what I wanted to do is, you know, not make it so traumatic to read. And I wanted to also use this book to relate to people who wouldn't necessarily normally read a history book in the ways that we communicate with each other. So, you know... In, in black America, we could be at a funeral that is incredibly sad, but we'll still make jokes in the back of the church, right? And it's a way of dealing with trauma and a way of making the book more accessible. I, just, I didn't just want it to be a book of scholarship that people who were interested in the minutia of history could read. I want it to be a book uh, an exercise in storytelling and an examination of America's past and for everyone to enjoy it. So what do you hope people take away from this? I think that one of the things that I wanted people to know about history and American history specifically is that the story of Africans in America, when you think about where they came from, why they were bought here, how they got arrived with nothing, not a language, not family. They were brought here with the explicit purposes to extract their labor and, to, and, and their intellectual property, and then for them to die. And if you think about how many millions of those people came here, when you look at today, it really is the greatest story ever told in the history of this planet. And if you want to tell the story of America, if you included that, you wouldn't have to mythologize. You wouldn't have to whitewash it, right? And I, and I wanted people to realize that what we built, the, the institutions, the communities, the culture, the music, the art, the families, that is a great story. And it is a triumph of not just Black people, but what people can build as a community. 
And that is the thing that I wanted people to take away, not just the, the tragedy of the whitewashing or the trauma of the history, but the triumph of the entirety of the story of our existence in America and how no matter what happened and everything that it could be inflicted upon a people has happened to black people in America, we were able to survive. And to me, that is a spectacular story. That's author and political columnist Michael Harriet speaking with Celeste Headley about his new book, Black AF History. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear... It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant.